So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Pop Culture Podcast. I'm sorry if you heard that noise in the background. It sounded like a fart. It wasn't. My neighbours, I've just pressed pause because my neighbour's reversing a truck up his driveway. And as I've said that, I think he's, it sounded like an axe grinder. But I got nervous that you thought I started the podcast with a fart, which I would never do. I've got the capacity to edit it out. I just want you to know that if you if you think that was a fart, I would have edited it. All right? It wasn't, it wasn't what you thought it was. I'm back in Australia, though. So I'm in my own house. I could have done that if I wanted to. It is so good. I love this country. How good is Australia? I'm, I'm not sure if you're in Australia, as I say. If you're not, come on over. You're allowed to come here now. Come and check it out. It is so good to be. I love, I love the USA as well. Holy shit, what are they doing over there? Can you hear that? This neighbour is never home, and uh, he should be at work. It's bloody... What time is it? It's 5 to 10 on a Wednesday. Go to work, mate, is what I say. <laughs> Go to, you can't be here while I'm trying to do the pop culture podcast for my people. Be reversing trucks and opening garage doors that sound like a fart and make me wear that in front of my audience. What is this? But anyway, it's good to be home. It's uh, we almost got home with with ease. I say I say almost got home with ease because uh, th- like the flight over there was fifty hours because we didn't do the vax, so we had to get a letter from a doctor to say no, they can't take it, which was which was good that we found one of those. Uh, absolute legend as well. Absolute legend of a man. Uh, had him on the phone to the Hawaiian Airlines guy who refused to let my wife, my little boy, and myself on the flight because uh, he didn't trust my letter. Perhaps rightly so, but I felt like he was on a power trip. Very revealing in those moments. How For, for someone who can't fight, I, I definitely, uh, I quite regularly get the emotion that, that tells me I should just fight because I'm one of those kind of people that I, I think if I get angry enough, my body will just figure out how to do it. But I, I think that's the I think that's how people end up getting bashed, isn't it? That's how people get bashed because their anger says, "No, you could take this guy." But logic says, "No, he's six foot eight. He's a big he's a big Samoan dude. Don't don't start it. Do you know what I mean?" But I go, "No, I'll take him. I'll kick him in the knees till he drops." The big fat bastard. <laughs> um, that's why I'm married because my wife pulls me aside and goes, "Tyus, babe, you're a very strong man." I go, "Thanks, baby." Uh, she goes, "I, I you know I I know you're strong." I go, "Yeah." She goes, but hey, let this guy off today. I go, you know what? I'm going to let him off just because because I trust your judgment because you just told me to. If it wasn't for you, this guy would have been on the last shift. She goes, babe, I know that's true. I know it would be on the last shift. This this 145 kilo Samoan who looks like he's been in the gym since he was seven. I know you could take him, babe. So we let that guy off. And uh, it, it turned out, so the trip over there was 50 hours as a result of missed flights and, and cancelled flights and stuff like that. And then on the way home, we had the smoothest run was so smooth we jumped on a like a little 30 seater from Medford to LA about an hour and a half and then uh, that landed on time then the only difference was we had or the only problem I, I should say was we had like a six hour layover in LA which is okay but we just we had to entertain ourselves at the airport for a while I got a coffee took my little boy for a walk I spoke to this uh Lebanese dude oh I felt sorry he was like 70 years old and uh I couldn't understand what he was saying. He kept saying uh, he kept saying things. He kept saying what I thought he was saying, and then I would respond to that. And he's like, "Why? Why are you responding to that? I didn't say anything about that." And I was like, I'm, "Look, I've got so many other things I would like to do than talk to you. I'm just trying to be nice. So if you like, maybe just stop talking. If we're not understanding each other, just let it go. I don't know what you're saying." But then he started uh, he started tearing up and and telling me in his foreign accent that he struggled with depression and he's. He took out his antidepressants and showed me, and uh, I was like, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure. I've, I I wish you all the best. It's one of those guys as well. You know when you get a little bit older, uh, or you might you get a little bit lonely, and, and all of a sudden you've done that for so long that anyone who will listen, you'll just start talking to. I mean, I'm happy to be that sounding board for a little while, but I got the vibe he was, he was one of those guys. So I had to write it out. But we were stuck at the terminal. He knew that the only place I had to go was the plane that we were all going to catch. And so I couldn't just walk away. I took, I took my kid for like little sprints around the airport because he likes to go fast uh, around the terminal is, is how he puts it. So we're going up and down there, but I'd had to come, come back every 15 minutes and speak to my Lebanese. I don't even know if he's Lebanese. His accent was that thick. He, he really could have been from anywhere. But that was good. It's, 
we did pretty well. We got on that flight from LA. That was a good flight as well. It was good in the sense that it was on time. But hey, if you've never travelled with a toddler, just don't do it. There's there's zero need to travel with a toddler. There's it's it's horrific. Is the only way to put it. It's absolutely a horrific experience. I, I was we caught an 11 p.m. flight from LA back to Sydney, and then we were just going to have an hour stop in Sydney. Risky, tight transition. But the uh, the air when we booked it, the guy said, no, no, there's a lot of flights. Uh, you'll be able to just get on the next one if you miss it. Uh, but the flight from LA, 14 hour, 15 hours it was, from LA to Sydney, you can book your own seat for a kid, but the idea of paying $1,500 for a two-year-old to travel is preposterous in its entirety, in, in my opinion. You can't, you can't be paying fifteen hundred bucks for your two-year-old. So I said, "Hey, we'll just we'll put him on our lap. It'll make he'll be sleeping anyway, so it'll make no difference to us, and we'll just sleep while he's asleep." But have you ever? Do you know how much a toddler moves when they sleep? It's actually it's quite ridiculous. It, my boy, he he twists and turns and slaps his hand and sneezes, and your dick's essentially his little pillow. That's a little tiny pillow for him, but he's got to try. And he's he's banging his head, not knowing what he's doing. But I get nervous as well because he's he's. This is a true story as well. We were playing this game a little while ago in our lounge room. He likes to pretend he's a dog, which is fine. He's only two, so he crawls around the ground and he barks and he bites and he you know he does everything a dog would do. It's very cute. But a, a few months ago, before we went to the US, I was sitting there. It was evening time. I had my tracksuit pants on with no jocks, and he was barking at me and pretending to bite me and blah 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 and. Anyway, one thing led to another. He ran up to me like a little dog, and without meaning to, he bit me right on the tip of the knob. And it was a, it's not just like a, a funny story uh, that he just bit me, and it was cute. That, like blood came out. It was a very, I've still got a tooth mark in it. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it was a, it was a tragedy, quite honestly. And I jumped so hard that the poor little guy, he's got such a fright. But a little bit of the, uh, the aftermath of that is still playing on my mind. So when we were on the plane, I saw his head was close there, using it as his pillow. I thought, just, I just don't want him to have a dream that he's a dog, you know, especially aggressive dog. Have a dream that you're a relaxed dog on a farm, but but don't be coming up to me like you're an aggressive dog in your dream. And so uh, he he didn't dream of being an address, aggressive dog, but he was just wiggly. And uh, I I didn't sleep on the fifteen hour flight. Eleven a.m. We missed it. Forty eight hours we didn't sleep. We we missed that sleep. We just said goodbye to it. I'm not sure how my wife and I are still married. There were certain points in that flight where she was looking at me as that, like, what are we doing with our lives? And, and divorce was an opportunity or, you know, she was looking at me like divorce was an option based solely on the fact that it was the only way she could really express how angry she was. She wasn't even angry at me, but the divorce towards me would have just been a way for her to express her frustration. But we got there. Char- Charlie woke up. He woke up. He had the best sleep of his life. So it was a it was a really strange experience. I had the happiest toddler. He had ten hours sleep straight. I had zero hours, zero hours sleep, and I couldn't even relax and watch a movie because I was so tired. So it was. Do you know? It was one of those ones where you try not to look at the clock just to get a surprise at how little time you have left. You want to see how little time you have left and be like, oh man, we've only got seven hours left. So. I was playing that game for, I, I honestly thought it was about six hours. I thought, all right, I reckon I've been playing this game for six hours. Um, and I reckon I started it with about 12 hours to go. And so we were on the flight. We'd been on there for uh, three hours. I said, all right, I'm not going to look at the clock for six hours. I waited what I thought was six hours. I'm not kidding. The clock said we had 10 hours and 59 minutes. So it was like an hour and something that I had not looked at the clock. It was, it was just, it was quite tragic. It was quite tragic. And then uh, we thought, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just tough it out, ride it out. We got to Sydney and our, our flight was cancelled. So my wife was stoked. She was the poor thing. She's 108 weeks pregnant. Uh, she's in no mood to be walking around airports with toddlers. And, and I can be a prick when I'm tired. I can be a prick when I'm wide awake after the best night's sleep. But when I'm tired, it can, it can go to a new level. I'm really working on it. Uh so we had, to, we had to figure out what we're going to do at the airport for seven hours. And uh, I said to Jesse, I was like, let's just stay at the airport and just chill out. She's like, I'm not staying at this fucking airport for seven hours, you dickhead. I was like, that's a very, you, you've been very forward with that. And, and so I take on that feedback and I say to you, where would you like to go, babe? <laughs> and so we just went one stop. We ate sushi. We drank coffee. We did what we could. We, 
she gets emotional when she's tired. She gets, uh, so do I, but she gets emotional to the fact where tears come out. So uh, she made an executive decision and I said, you know what, you do that, I'll do this. And she just went and sat at a cafe and she was so tired, so upset, she started crying a little bit. But the poor thing, she started crying and a police officer came up to make sure everything was okay. And I thought, hey, don't be doing this because now I I have to look as though I'm a respectful, responsible and, and loving husband. Now I'm just not in the mood to do that. It's like we went to Portugal a couple of years ago. It was for her birthday. And I don't know if you guys are like this, but whenever we have a big event, whenever there's like a birthday, we just, we're better at spontaneous dates. When it's a big event, I think Jesse gets excited to make it the best event of all time. And I want to make it the best event of all time. So if something slips up, it's like, oh no, it's not the best event of all time. Emotions start flying. So uh, we're better with spontaneous dates. Like we're going past a coffee shop. We go, hey, you know what? I don't know why I'm explaining spontaneous to you. Like you don't know what it is. Uh, but we were in Portugal a couple of years ago, and we were trying to do the best, the best date of all time. It wasn't working out. We were arguing. Probably she had a period. Standard, <laughs> you know. That's terrible. She doesn't listen. Don't worry about it. And uh, and so she left the table to go for a walk. And some gorgeous Portuguese guy went up to her and put his arm around her. And said, "Hey, hey, darling, everything okay?" Because they speak like an Indian in Portugal sometimes. She came back to the table and she was a little bit happier. She's like, hey, babe, this Portuguese guy put his... I said, I saw the whole thing. I saw the whole thing. He knows you're married. She's like, I don't even mind. It was just so supportive. I go, you know what? So the policeman in Sydney came up to her to make sure she's okay. Gave Charlie a high five because uh, I had to get my act together. I had to, I had to go cool off a little bit and take a couple of deep breaths. I don't even know what we're arguing about. I think it was just one of those tired arguments. But anyway... Hey, I told you, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that I got gifted a bag of psychedelic mushrooms, didn't I? It's funny, when I got given them, the guy said to me, he goes, hey, mate, these, they were, so he gave them to me, they were these little chocolate squares. He goes, mate, trust me, for you, your body weight, one of these is enough, just be careful. I said, mate, my first time, I'll be very careful. I got into our kitchen, I was so excited to open them up that I dropped a couple on the floor and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to pick those up just because I've got a toddler running around the house. Uh. I thought I dropped about two or three. I didn't know exactly. So I picked up what I could see and just moved on. Uh, the truth was, you do have to be careful with the, the dosing of these. You don't, not just the dosing. You've just got to be careful with the way that you, you know, you handle them when, you, when you're trying to do the dosing. And anyway, a couple of weeks go by. I'm looking around the kitchen uh, with my wife. I see my little man chewing on something. I thought, well, hang on a second. What's he found there? He's opened his mouth, and it's the residue of what I'm pretty sure is a is a psychedelic mushroom. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And, and Jessie didn't know. She goes, babe, what's that? I said, sweetie, look, just take a breath. It's a psychedelic mushroom and quite a strong dose. And so I'm not I'm not sure. I was over-panicked. I kept saying to him, I was like, buddy, are you okay? And, and he's little. He's two. He can't really say too much, but he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. After a while, he started getting frustrated at me for asking the question so much. I go, mate, are you sure you're okay? He goes, dad, just leave me alone. I'm trying to play with these unicorns. <laughs> and so I say, yeah, buddy, you have a good night, eh? I just put Led Zeppelin on for him and went to bed. It's funny, the psychedelic mushrooms. I tried one. I had such a mild dose that it, it really didn't make a huge impact to me. I, I think if I wanted to do it, I had to go a lot harder. But but my poor little man, I'm not 100% sure what was going on through his head or whether there was a big impact or, you know, he slept for two days straight and when he woke up, he thought he was a philosopher. So I think he's had an experience of some sort. But uh, I don't know, the old... It was weird. I told you I got gifted those in, in the United States. And... I'm not sure what's legal there. Like, I'm not even sure if mushrooms are legal here or, or if they're legal there or, or what the story is. But it's a very different culture over there. We were uh, we were driving around Oregon, and there were there were so many of those cannabis dispensaries, which I don't have a problem with. In my mind, I'm like, well, are we really going to keep playing this game that alcohol's fine and that that marijuana's the worst thing ever? It's, I mean, 2020. I think I think most of us understand now. Like myself, up until I was a teenager, I was like, marijuana's very naughty. And then, and then I saw what I would do after a couple of drinks of alcohol, and I thought, "Hang on a second, that's preposterous. That behaviour you can't you can't be doing that." And uh, so it was weird. We, me and Sammy, we we went into a, a a little marijuana dispensary just to find out what's going on there. 
and we went inside and it was exactly what you thought it was it was a we walked in there was this he must have been 25 a guy with long hair and he goes my dudes my dudes i was like oh here we go of course you're gonna say my dudes i said hey mate how you going he's like what can i help you with tonight you guys looking for a good night i was like mate listen I'm 35 years old. I've tried marijuana once in my life. I don't know what I'm looking for. He's like, that's okay. You got to start somewhere. He's like, you can be a cheap, you can be a cheap treat. I was like, all right, like walk us through. This guy, he was a, he was he was the classic tripper. He'd he'd seen some stuff, literally and metaphorically. He'd been through a, a couple of adventures. But man, inside these dispensaries, very very interesting. I I could see the appeal of being a pothead. Just like I could see the appeal of... Actually, I think the appeal of being a pothead is far higher than the appeal of being like a wine stop. You know those wine tasters where you go to a place and you pretend... You, you count the tannins or something? You taste the wine, you... It's just wank city. I just I don't care if you're good at it. If you're accurate, you're a wanker if you're good at it. You just, because there's a certain demeanor that everyone in that scene holds themselves with. You have to go in very serious. You have to act like you've got more money than you do. And then you have to, I don't know, like yeah, anyone who has to describe the taste, just shut up. Let me drink it, cockhead. Like stop looking at me going, oh, you can you can taste the, the floral flavor. Floral's not an adjective, I don't think. That's not a description of a, of a flavor, as far as I know. Just don't talk to me about your stupid wine. Drink it, pass me the bottle, let me drink it, and then, you know, I'll talk to you when you've had seven drinks and this bullshit, this act has, has just dropped off a little bit. <laughs> because I don't know, I've got no interest in it. At least, at least with pot, like yeah, you're not necessarily you're not thought of as classy. That's the problem. I think wine, you you thought of as a classy person if you if you drink it and you know what you're talking about. It's like being an art dealer. But even art dealers aren't that good. I love hearing stories about people who who claim to be really good at what it is that they're doing, but then it comes to the crunch and they don't really know. Do you hear about the um, there's like an art dealer, I think he's called or an art. What's it called where you price artwork? What? Let me just find out. Hey Siri, what's it called when you price artwork? Okay, I found this on the web for what is it called when you price artwork. Check it out. Yeah, that was, I formulated that question wrong. I'm not 100% sure how to ask that question. The name of a person who values art. Oh, hey Siri. What is an art evaluator? Okay, I found this on the web. Art valuation. Okay, I know my questions. Don't judge the way that I speak to Siri. I don't. I haven't had time to think about how to formulate that question. But what I was trying to say, art valuators, art valuations, the people who value art. There was a story on the radio a few years ago now of a, a bloke who valued. It was like it was an IKEA painting, and it was it was bought for like forty eight dollars, and he valued it. At, I think it was like 53000 It's like, cockhead, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. So at least with weed, that's not there. But this guy really knew what he was talking about. And he was trying to get me on board. But I, I just, I really didn't know what I was looking for. So he kept opening up little containers and it had the little buds. And he was like, try this one, my dude. I was like, just, my name's Tyson, mate. You don't have to. I don't know if you're playing playing the part of a pothead, but stop calling me dude because I'm, I'm getting uncomfortable. I didn't say any of that. I just took it because he was, he was quite lovely. And so he put it up to my nose. He's like, what do you think of that one? I was like, ah, oh, floral. <laughs> I've got no idea. What do you say? I don't know what the description for marijuana is. And then he'd give me the next one. And he'd go, dude, try this one. Have a smell. I go, mate, in all honesty, that one smells exactly like the last one. He's like, no, can't you, can't you smell the strength difference? I was like, look, I'm a toddler. I'm less than a toddler. I'm a baby when it comes to this. I'm not going to be able to give you solid descriptions on what it is you show. How about you tell me about them? How about we start the education there? You give me a bit of an overview on what it is I'm experiencing, then I'll tell you whether I agree. And so they didn't just have the buds. They had like pre-rolled joints. Uh, they had they had this drink. So it was, I can't tell you how strong it was, but it was, it was only about 250 mils, eight ounces, I think they call it in the U.S., and he said, for, for us, we would only need like a tablespoon of that. And I said, oh, is, is that a lot? He goes, my dude, he goes, when I drink that one, he goes, I can, he goes, I, I can get right off my head, but I can drink that whole bottle. And I said, oh, it's like, I wish you just don't do that anymore, will you? Look, I know you're more experienced in this department, but can you stop doing that? Because that's too much. You don't need as much as you think you need. Just hold up a little bit. I go, what's it like? He's like, bro, you, it, it's a very, very strange experience. 
I was like, well, that's all I need to hear. I don't want to do it. Because the idea of getting high, I've told you guys before, to an extent, it freaks me out. I'm not a huge fan of it. Sometimes. I really don't get the, I really don't get the love of, of the weed high, though. Like, I've only tried it twice, and both times, I just feel completely out of control. Does it, does it sound like a normal experience? I don't know. Like, you weed lovers out there, can you tell me what it is you love about it? Because it really makes no sense. to. I want to appreciate it. It's like it's like I want to appreciate surfing. I've got a surfboard in the corner of my house over here. It's, it's not even mine. It's about six foot six. It's a really good beginner's board. My good mate, uh, he lent it to me just to, just to give me a taste. I'm the guy, I love watching surfing videos on YouTube. And then for whatever reasons, I get down to the beach and I think the problem is the image I have of what I'm going to experience is different in my head than what it is in reality. So I'll get down to the beach and I'll, I've been watching Tahiti surf videos in summer for a couple of hours the night before and there's girls in bikinis and there's guys with golden bodies and it's warm and the water's still and it's clear blue and the waves are just rolling in in sets. And, it's not, and then I go down here to Ocean Grove, I get there, it's freezing. I forgot my wetsuit, I've only got my boardies. There's no one out there apart from me, which is terrifying. I remember there was a shark attack there six months ago. Uh, it's choppy. But the chop is, is gigantic, so it's just too scary to paddle out. You essentially paddle out 30 metres and then just get dumped for 15 minutes before you, you come in and tell your wife you had a good surf. It's just it's one of those things where I feel like my experience doesn't quite match uh, my YouTube algorithm. And I think that's becoming a big problem in more and more people's lives because you get this idea of what reality is based on a YouTube algorithm, and then you get to the beach and it's a washing machine and cold. You go, hang on a second, where's that Brazilian girl? I don't know why she's not here. And why am I looking? Because I'm happily married to a beautiful woman. That's rarely the follow-up question, but that was that was just like an asterisk at the end. In case by chance my wife listens to this podcast, I want her to know that I'm not looking for Brazilian girls at the, at the local surf beach here. I want to get into it though. It's such a cool sport. I've never met a surfer where I'm like... Actually, I was, I was about to tell you, I've never met a surfer who I think is a wanker. That's actually one of the things that is, is untrue because that's another example of where my algorithm doesn't match reality because surfers, I think, in a lot of instances, are, are absolute jerks, especially when they're out in, their, out in the water. It's like a magpie protecting their young. They're, they think the wave is their baby, you know, and you, you go out there, they start swooping at you. Hey, fuck off, mate, that's my wave. You've dropped in too soon. It's like, mate, I don't even know what a drop-in is. What is a drop-in? Like, use a language that I understand. You can tell by the fact I've got my wetsuit on backwards that I'm not a regular down here. Help me. Help me know what to do. And then they get angry at you because you've got to be careful when you're a new surfer as well because especially if you're going out to hot spots because if it's a really busy ocean, I don't know how to turn the board. If I stand up, that's a win. Like, if I'm up, Get out of the way because I can't turn. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna cop it sweet. A um, couple of years ago, we were at, we were doing a, we were doing a road trip from from Melbourne up to Noosa. Might have been the highest point here in Australia. And along the way, we would surf. And uh, I had a surfboard. My brother-in-law Sammy had a surfboard. And I remember Sammy's very similar to surfing as what I am. We just shit. Like he could stand up, but that's all. There's just no direction. And one day, I saw him on a wave which was far too big for him to be on. And then I, I was caught 50 metres directly ahead of him. And he was coming straight for me. He's going, Tyus, move. I go, dude, I can't. What? How do I move? You're moving at such a... Anyway, uh, I, I jumped off my board and I just went deep underwater because I didn't want the fin to get me. His fin slides, it just slides straight through my surfboard. And I thought, okay, it's a, it's, it really is a contact sport, isn't it? You've got to be careful out here. But I think that's my goal. I think I want to get into surfing. I want to get into surfing because of how cool it feels in my head. It feels... And when you're out in the water on a nice day, it's beautiful. I said to my wife a while ago, I go, babe, tell me some of your hobbies. And I thought she was going to say like maybe tennis or painting. Or She goes, oh, I don't really know what it's called, but I like it when you paddle out over all the waves and you just sit in still water on the board. And I was like, isn't that just like, you should try going on a boat. You would love it. You would absolutely love it. If you went out on a boat, it's the same experience. You don't even have to paddle. You can just be out the back and relax. She's like, no, but it's something about just being in, in the water. I go, well, drive the boat out there and jump off and just float on your back. She's like, no, I don't know how to... That's I feel like you can't really call it a hobby if it doesn't have a name. A hobby has to be something that... Gardening. 
Like people understand the concept of that. I don't really understand. What's the con... Floating? That's not really a hobby. But uh, I'm, I'm an Enneagram type 7. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like a personality type thing. So mine's called an adventurer. And one of the weaknesses of my personality is that I, I constantly get obsessed with new ideas and I can spread my energy too thin. That's, that's what I'm, I'm doing. Because my brother-in-law, when we were there, he has chickens. He has a beautiful garden. Um, what else does he do? He's got a garden. I was going to tell you something else, but I can't remember what else he does. He's got a number of hobbies. I thought, that's cool. So so I come home, and I was thinking, uh, while we were away, I was thinking, all right, when I get home, I'm going, to, I'm going to start taking up gardening. And then I look at this chick called Romy Photographer on Instagram, and I go, no, you know what? I'm going to be a landscape photographer as well. Then I go, no, no, what I'll do, I'll focus on surfing. And then I went out for a jog yesterday morning. This is all true, and I, I felt good on my runs. I thought, you know what? I'm going to start training for a marathon. Then this morning I went into the gym, and I thought, I'm going to bulk. I was like, Tice, get your, get your act together, mate. Have, what are you actually going to do? Think about it now, bud. You're 35 years old. Stop taking up new hobbies, all right? You're not a, you're not seven. I used to love that as, as a seven-year-old kid as well. I'd go down to Kmart and I'd see a skateboard and I'd be like, oh, man, maybe if I start skating today, I could be the world's best skater. And it's fun. It's fun. And it's sort of cute when you're a young kid, but when you're 35 with a a wife, a kid, and another one on the way, it's like, all right, Tice, do you really need to take up landscape photography today? How about you just help cook dinner? And then I watch a Anthony Bourdain documentary, and I go, well, you know what? Maybe cooking dinner is not a bad thing. Maybe I could do this really well. My problem, I don't know the, I don't know the, uh, I don't have the hobby gene in my body very, very much, I don't think. I get caught up going, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it well. I'm going to start brand new right now today. And I'm going to be the best in the whole world. And if I'm not the best in the whole world, I go, well, what's the point of doing it? It's a, it's probably, a, it's a, it's maybe not a very freeing attitude. You have to just have hobbies, don't you? You got to be able to just say, hey, my hobby's just going to the back of the ocean and and just floating on my board. And it's not a boat. It's different to that. But anyway, that's what's been going through my mind about surfing at the moment. It's just, I think living in a cold state, and, and sharks is another thing. Sharks freak me out. I'm not a huge fan of them, obviously. That goes without saying. They're nice behind glass or whatever, but when you're actually out in the water and you think you see a fin, it's like, all right, well, there's so many things I could be doing with my time right now. Are you sure that sitting out here hoping you didn't just see a shark is one of them? I'm not sure. I've got, I've got plenty of hobbies. Like, I've got things that I do now that I don't have to be the best in the world at. Running's one of those things now. I just do that to feel good. Going to the gym, in my head, I still think I'm going to be a bodybuilder at some stage. Maybe, I, maybe I'll do that, but I don't know. At the moment, that's just more of a hobby. I got a skateboard the other day just so I could... This is my issue. I, I think I'm reaching out for help right now. I'm not sure if I'm asking you or I'm telling you, but what, what do I do? What does a man in my situation do? Anyway, it's, I mean, it's great to be back. There's a, the, the other thing is uh, is comedy, but comedy for me, that's like a passion. That's like a passion hobby. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where we're going with that one. Maybe it'd be cool to sell out theaters with that, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty fun to go to a theater and tell you funny jokes, and then go home and tell your wife how funny you were or how hard you bombed. That'd be a good one. Maybe we'll just focus on that, okay? But I'm going down to the city tonight to go tell some funny jokes, and I'm I'm pumped to do it. I, I can't wait to get back into the consistency of it. I don't think I've done comedy now for two and a half weeks, just with, uh, you know, travel and uh, the last couple of weeks were a little all over the place in the state. So we're back. Popplestone taking Melbourne by storm is what they're saying. Yeah, no, that's unnecessary. You know they're not saying that as well as I do. That was that was just me trying to trying to make myself sound bigger in the comedy world than what I am. I'm going to an open mic night, and there's going to be there'll probably be four people there, and two of them will be the bartenders, and the other two have just got lost and decided that they they need a drink so badly they're going to sit down and have one there because that is that is what the open mic comedy scene is, and um, I mean don't knock it because it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful thing. But um, the comedy scene in America was good. It's just, I felt like I was a bit of a novelty over there. People heard the accent. They just paid a bit closer attention. At the start, I thought my comedy had just gone to a new level. Then I realized, oh, hang on. I know what's happened here. They're just not used to this accent. That's why they're paying so much attention. So I can imagine that when I get out there tonight, people just, they won't be that interested. It's going to be very hard for me to swallow. 
But I mean, it's all part of it, isn't it? The the open mic comedy scene, I always just see as it's it's almost like the gym workout. You have to just keep rocking up to get the results. You're not going to build biceps if you're just sitting at home. And your jokes aren't going to be that funny if you're just sitting in your bedroom by yourself speaking to a camera. So, I mean, you need that instant feedback. Because you guys, I'll say something, I'm like, I killed that joke. And I can't hear any of you laugh. I just assume that you're all pissing yourself. When I make a good call, I go, everyone's pissing themselves. And it's fine to say that to yourself on stage but the problem with saying that to yourself on stage is you go everyone's pissing themselves you look out and if no one's pissing themselves you're like well this guy's not aware of what's going on (laughs) oh man so we've been home for it's wednesday today been home five days i feel like the sleep thing i haven't necessarily I, i don't think i got jet lag on the way back i don't think i got jet lag on the way there either i'm very strange when it comes to sleep i seem to be able to go quite well for a significant distance, sleep-deprived. Maybe that's all that's going on now. Maybe I am jet-lagged, I'm just not aware of it. But I don't I don't think I am. I've been sleeping very well. My wife got angry at me yesterday because, uh, because our boys, as I said, he's been crying through the night, and I've, I didn't hear him. So she got up, she's like, I was up with him for two and a half hours last night. I was like, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry, I didn't hear that. She goes, you genuinely didn't hear it. She goes, he was having a meltdown. I go, sweetie, I was, I'm not sure what I was experiencing, but it was a it was a very different experience to what you were going through, and I'm grateful to have you in my life. And please, if it happens again tonight, don't wake me up. Just know that I'm in a better place. That's horrible when you can't sleep. And it's horrible, when you've got a crying kid, it's horrible to know that that crying is going to start in, in just a minute. And you can't sleep. It's like trying to go to sleep when there's an alarm about to go off. You know that feeling where you're counting down the alarm, you're like, you're trying to go to sleep, but you're like, any minute, I'm going to close my eyes and, fall, and it's just going to go off. So you, you just go, you know what, stuff, I'm just going to stay awake. That's what used to stress me out when I was a kid because I used to have friends over and mum would come in and go, guys, you need to go to sleep in a minute. I go, mum, we're having so much fun. She goes, go to sleep or there's going to be trouble. I go, well, how long have I got? She goes, 10 minutes. If I come back in here and you guys aren't asleep, there is going to be trouble. So I'll be laying there going, oh, <laughs> please go to sleep. Please go to sleep. And then, you know, the stress is so high that mum comes in 10 minutes later. You're still wide awake because you've been trying so hard to sleep that you get a smack. Your mum looks at you and said, oh, I said, go to sleep. I said, mum, I've been trying so hard. But sleep's one of those funny ones where the harder you try, the harder it is. It's very, very strange. It's a horrible experience, isn't it? To have the threat of physical violence over you from your own mother if you don't go to sleep and be expected to go to bed. Good luck. She should come in and say, hey, if you're not asleep in 10 minutes, I'm going to come in here with a hot cocoa, a nice bedtime story, all right, and just read it to you. I would have fallen asleep on the spot. But with the threat of violence, you go, oh, I'm in so much trouble, buddy, just fall asleep. Your body's like, get stuffed, I'm exhausted, but i got to see this. It's like, well, hang on a sec. Oh, man. That's what, mums are funny like that. Because you've got to play that weird balance of, you're the disciplinarian, but you're also, you've also got to be soft and lovely and friendly. And it's trying to find that nice balance is the, is the difficult part that I've found. Dads, in general, are just more fun, I think. I think that's universal. I think if anyone's angry about that, read a book. You know, like that's why books are called uh, Daddy's the Fun One, Mummy's the Bitch. That's a, I'm pretty sure that's a good book title. It'll be out there somewhere, but it's it's funny. So uh, as an example, my kid, he's just discovered how fun it is to spin around in circles till you feel sick. And I find it very funny. My wife does too, but she realizes that he's too young to know what's good for him. So as a result, uh, Charlie and I, we don't do the spins when mum's home anymore because We'll get in trouble for it. But the other day, Jesse, she went out to the shops and I said, Charlie, you know what time it is? He goes, spin time. And it's true, he's true. He's got that down pat. And so uh, we lost track of time. I've never seen a kid spin so fast for so long. In fact, I lost track of time. I looked at the watch. We'd been spinning in circles without a break for half an hour. And just as I realized the mistake I made, I saw my wife's car come back up the driveway. And I was like, oh, no, we're in trouble. I looked at Charlie, and he's so wobbly. I saw Jesse. She's walking back up the driveway to come in. So I'm desperately spinning the other way, trying to unwind him from what he's just been through. But he's, you know, the damage had been done. She walked in, and he he fell over in a puddle of his own vomit. And you've just got to gotta learn the balance between what's fun and what's too far as a dad. And and that's, the, that's a lesson I'm trying to learn. It's a difficult lesson to learn. It's very difficult to unwind your kid. Uh, in you know you can't unwind 30 minutes worth of damage in 10 seconds when you see your wife coming up the road that's a fair call isn't it though like dads generally are the fun ones i think i think it's not so much that we're the fun ones 
as much as we struggle knowing, or me personally, I struggle to know where to like put my foot down hard, because because Charlie yesterday we were we were telling him off about something and he ran away into the corner and he he goes funny, I go well. I said to Jesse, I kind of agree with him. It was funny. Like you sort of went cross-eyed when you were telling me off. She goes, I don't care if I went cross-eyed. The purpose of this conversation is to teach him that what he was doing was wrong. I said, okay, it was wrong. But all I'm saying is I want to acknowledge the fact that he was right too when he said it was funny. She goes, it wasn't funny. I said, well, you can't say that because humor is very subjective. And I was pissing myself. I found that one of the funniest things ever. She goes, well, I don't want to hear about it. I go, well, you don't have to hear about it, but it doesn't mean it's not funny. Is it? And so parenting's going very well. Parenting's going very well for us, as you can tell. I'm, uh, it actually is. I'm taking the piss a little bit, but I definitely do struggle knowing where the, where the line between, okay, funny and not funny is anymore. And you also, you don't want to raise a kid who's a little bitch. You don't want to raise a kid who's soft and uh, cynical and who can't take a joke, but you also don't want to raise a little brat and man, we've discovered the terrible twos for, like, man, it's kicked in early. This guy has discovered his voice. He's discovered his tent. I'm not going to tell you all about my kids because I know that no one gives a shit. I don't even give a shit about your kids, and I have kids of my own. People used to always say to me, when you have a kid, you're going to start paying far more attention to other people's kids. I got, uh, nothing could be further from the truth for me. In fact, I pay less attention to what's going on in the life of your kid now that I have my own because it's like, I don't want my spare time being taken up by boring stories about what your dumb kid's doing. And still, I have the audacity to come here and speak about my kid for 10 minutes like you give a shit at all. You don't, do you? And that's fine. Yeah, I need you to be honest with me right now so I stop doing this. I've seen people's eyes glaze over because I catch myself being that dad now where they go, hey, how's your kid? I go, you know what? Wait, look at this. I've got a couple of videos. And you just see the eye roll in them that means, oh, why did I ask? I don't care. I don't want to know about it. I'm just not interested. But you can't you can't just respond immediately to that because a lot of people would feel bad if they've been so blatant about their lack of interest in your kid and the fact that their eye roll wasn't subconscious, but it was actually visible to, to me who was telling the uh, telling the person I'm gonna show pictures of my kids. But that's um I don't know, that's just that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. At the gym this morning, I was wearing those, uh, do you know those earbuds that everyone wears at the moment? I get I get a little bit unsure. About, I don't like earbuds because I, I think there should be a rule that you can't take phone calls on it because I've been more nervous for my safety in the past few years since they've existed than I was before because I don't like walking past a homeless person who's talking to themselves. But have you ever noticed now, every second person's walking along the street having a conversation and we're expected to be able to decipher between whether or not they're actually, they've got psychotic issues or, or they're just on the phone using their, the latest technology. I think that there needs to be something which makes it more obvious that they're in fact just on the phone. Like there needs to be a light that shines around their head or something because I, the amount of walks or runs that I've turned around and just taken in the opposite direction because I've seen someone who's, who in my opinion is, is clearly on acid and I get closer and they're like, anyway, I love you, mum. All right, have a good day, bye. They take out their earbuds and go, hey, mate, how you doing? I go, wait, hang on, what just happened there? I thought you are on the brink of a psychotic break, but you were just having a phone call with your mum, and I couldn't tell just because uh, you need the cords coming out of it. You need these ones a little bit, I think. I think the cord is is a symbol. If I see someone on the phone like this, or they're talking to themselves and they've got this in their, their headphones, I go, you know what, everything's okay. They're on the phone. Well, why do we need to keep eliminating stuff? But the cord's not that annoying, is it? I don't know. And then is like is the radiation a problem? In in the, I've got a friend, Joash, and he's got a uh, he's got a radiation detector. And I was at his house a little while ago, and he was scanning my laptop. He was scanning my phone. He's like, "Hey, don't put the phone near your balls because uh, the radiation exposure over time is is you know going to fry up your testicles." And I go, "Well, is this is this one of the is this legit?" Because I don't know, like people, there's there's so many theories out there at the moment. This guy, I think he's on the ball with a lot of stuff, but then he also goes, he's very convinced that the earth is flat as well. And I, I really struggle to digest that one. Uh, it's like, I, I feel as though the other side of lockdown, there's a lot more flat earthers that have come out. And I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure if it's just frustration at the government and assuming that everything's a lie, but maybe it is. Maybe everything is a lie. That's what I can't keep up with now. 
The Therapeutic Goods Association just posted on Instagram a very brave post, I thought, saying, hey, are you one of the people who's experiencing negative adverse effects from the uh, COVID vaccine? Please report it here because we're trying to figure out what we're doing. We go, hang on a second. You told us this was safe a little while ago. <laughs> you made me lose my job over it. I went to the form, I just filled out, I said the only adverse effect that I had was I couldn't work for 12 months. Is there any way I can, can I get some help with that or <laughs> watch it go? To be fair though, I love not going to work for 12 months. I was like, get fucked with this stupid, I didn't want to teach anymore anyway. I was so happy to say goodbye to it. I remember, because uh, I was working for an agency and I was getting so, I was getting so angry at all the, there was, did, I don't know, I just felt like there was a phase where all the people who were pro-vaccine were so proud to talk about it and they were, they felt like they had this platform of authority to speak to me about my decision not to get it. I go, mate, listen, I, I use crystal deodorant because I'm concerned about the elements of what's coming out of a Rexona can. Don't, don't come to me and tell me to have to put this vaccine that you don't know anything about, don't pretend you do, into, into my body. Because did you notice that there was this real high and mighty kind of attitude that the the vaccine people had and i mean it's it's fine i guess at the start we just we trusted everyone and we we're trying to do our, our best bit but i was like i couldn't give a shit if you get the vaccine or not just don't make me do it that was my thing i'm like yeah go for it it's i just want it to be not mandated and this was interesting in america as well i was i think i told you guys last week i wasn't even cool for not having it people said hey what's the vaccine situation in australia i said i couldn't work for 12 months because i didn't get it they look and people go are you this is why you couldn't let them take your guns mate <laughs> that's that's actually fun like that was my favorite part of being in america is every conversation where i was quite a conservative part of town it just ended in um it just ended in like that's because you let them take your guns like i don't know i was too young i was too young when it all happened but anyway uh what was i talking about this therapeutic goods thing yeah i was just i was so over these uh these these pro-vaxxers telling me what it was that i was supposed to do that I just started to get a bit more vocal about the fact that I didn't want to do it. I had a point to this story. I'm going to listen back and know what it was, but I'm not sure what it was now. What, what was I going to tell you? Uh, therapeutic goods, they put out that adverse effect thing. That's what it was. Yeah, I had a... So I was working for an agency, and and the teaching agency, they were they were the worst. They were constantly saying, you've got to get the fourth dose. You've got to get the fifth dose. If you haven't got the eighth dose, you're an anti I was like, mate, stop talking. Even my mum's an anti-vaxxer now because she doesn't want to get the fourth one. My mum's lovely. She's done everything she's been asked to do for a long time. But I felt like I felt like I just uh, I was a little bit dirtier about this for whatever reason than a lot of other people were. And in the height of this these vaccine things, the the agency called me and they said, "Hey, Tyus, just double checking. You've got your, um, your your vaccine. You're ready to teach." I said, "Hey, just to clarify, I've got a I've got a fake vaccine passport." So. Uh, as long as you guys are happy for me to use that, I'll still be able to go into the schools. And the lady was there, was like, who's that going to help having a fake vaccine passport? I was like, I guess I'm not coming to work for you guys then. So absolutely not. You guys really need to take the, it, I don't know. I just got so over, I got so over guys with man tits telling me what to do with my health. I go, mate, you know what? Let's let's do a workout at a gym. We'll do a 1500 and then compare diets and then we'll see whether you're in a good spot to tell me about my health, you big fat cockhead. <laughs> I actually, I'm laughing about it now, but that was genuinely my heart for for a long time over the last two years. And I said to I said to Jesse just this morning, I was like, uh, I feel as though I forgot how good it feels just to be super super chilled and happy again. Because did you guys find that? I reckon regardless of what side you are with the vaccine thing, just the stress of like, all right, you can't go to your cafe. Um, and at the start, especially at the start, it was kind of scary. I remember at the start, uh, I went to my dad's house and it was where if you'd been overseas, you weren't supposed to be going to anyone else's house. You go home, you isolate. And I was all for that. I was like, 100% do that. Everyone should be doing it well. And I got there and uh, and there was a lady who she'd just got back from overseas and she quickly snuck in. She snuck in like this. <laughs> I was like, you're an absolute idiot. But then the, the further we went on, the more I realized, oh, no. I think everyone else is an idiot. I think all the, uh, I don't know. Did you, I felt like it was so forced on us that even with my little boy now, I go, you know what, I'm just going to hit pause with the vaccines for a while because I, if you're the ones that have been telling me I need this for my own health for so long, you're the same ones that have been saying um, my kid needs it. And then bloody Candace Owens, I know, I know you might not like her. I know. The media, media paints a bad picture, but she's, she's very interesting. I love her. Just uh, I got a, a little. I find her attractive as well, which is 
It's just a little bit more fuel. Interesting look. It's like a Lana Del Rey kind of look. It's not. It's not what you would necessarily pick as as a baby. There's something. There's something going on there. And then she speaks with such confidence and arrogance. Like you know what? I like it. I'm not sure if what you're saying is true, but I, I'm gonna buy into it a little bit more. Um. Yeah. Oh man, I keep losing my train of thought. I keep losing my train of thought. It was Candace Owens talking about the vaccines. Then I had, I, I don't know why I told you I had a little crush on her. That's what threw me off. Ah, oh, that's what it was. So before we went to America, my wife, she had to go and get checked out for um for for baby stuff. I'm not, I'm not a supportive husband. I'm not 100% sure what it was she was getting checked out there. But she went to the doctors. The doctor was like, um, oh, so, you know, any anything going on? And Jesse's like, oh, we're about to go over to the United States for six weeks. And he's like, all right, you're up to date with your booster shot. And Jesse's like, I didn't even have the first one yet. And he goes, uh, you shouldn't be going to America. And Jesse goes, why? Why shouldn't I? He goes, well, here's the thing. There's a very high chance that, well, this is true as well. I'm not paraphrasing. This is, well, slightly paraphrasing, but the essence of what I'm about to say is true. He goes, there's a very high chance that once you get to America, because you're unvaccinated, you'll get COVID. And as a pregnant woman, you'll definitely end up on a ventilator. And Jesse, this is what I love about my wife. She goes, hey, can you show me just some evidence that that is true? And the guy's like, absolutely, it's very well known. It's absolutely doing the old, uh, I've just got to fill in this, this quiet time as I, as I scroll through the internet to try and find the article that we've been given to show everyone. And uh, after about 10 minutes, Jesse goes, look, don't worry about it. I'm happy to take the risk. <laughs> she was, oh, it's so confusing. This is why I have to take up surfing because then it's something else to talk about other than uh other than the old vax. But um, look, I've got a whole page full of notes down here that I wanted to wanted to talk to you about. Ah, um, oh, so this is this is actually something that I wanted to wanted to tell you guys a little bit about. So before I was a stand up comedian, I, I was a youth pastor. So I used to go into church and speak messages and speak about the Bible and things like that. And people often say to me, they're like, "Hey, it must be so nice being a uh, uh, being a youth pastor compared to a comedian." I bet you never got heckled as a youth pastor. I was like, "Mate, you obviously have never been to a Pentecostal church." Like, if there isn't someone in the back of the room just going, mmm, halfway through your point, you know that you're not doing a, a, a good enough. I got heckled more as a pastor than I did as a, um, as I did as a comedian. All you've got to do in the church is bring up the subject of gay marriage and have a slightly different opinion. Someone in the back is going to come out and go, you're a dickhead. You go, hang on a second. I'm trying to read a Bible verse. You can't be yelling that out from the back of the church. Ah. Uh. Yeah, the heckling, the heckling thing is real. But the church is funny. I feel like heckling would probably make churches, like if, if it was more of a consistent thing in the world of church, I reckon heckling would make it far more fun because there's a lot of messages that I've sat through in the past where I've been so bored. And the good thing, I think the good thing with being a youth pastor, if you're a youth pastor in a church uh, and the audience is sitting there quietly, you can go, oh, okay, they're paying respects, they're listening carefully, they're obviously very interested in this message that I'm sharing. But the truth is, they could be so incredibly bored, but because they're in a church, they have to pay their highest respects. They can't just be... I think some honest feedback from the audience, like this <laughs> this message is bullshit. I've got a different belief on the... Yeah, just some of that would make it... I think the preaching quality of a church scene would uh, would really improve if if that was the case. Don't you reckon... I don't know. That's something I've been thinking about a little bit lately, and I reckon uh, I feel like a couple of pastors need some good heckles. Is is all I'm trying to say. I think it'd be beneficial to everyone. We uh, we've been going back to a church up here called the Wave, which is which is a cool church. Which is a cool church. I uh, it's a real surfy kind of vibe. You know, you're in a surfy town when the the pastor rocks up in bare feet. I saw the pastor rock up in bare feet. I go, okay, man, this guy's, this guy's taking the, the gospel very seriously. He's even dressing like Jesus, do you know? <laughs> he comes, then he pulls out his iPhone. You're like, oh, okay, Jesus didn't have Instagram. He would have had the equivalent, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't know what the equivalent would have been back then. There would have been no equivalent. I guess the Instagram of the day, like, because yeah, the cameras weren't even a thing then, were they? It was just, it was just live painting and no one was... Yeah, I don't know why I said that because because uh, there was no comparison to, to Instagram back in the day. Oi, uh, I've nearly been married 12 years this year. How crazy is that? Oh, no, 11. 11 years. It's amazing how quickly that's time gone. We got married uh, in 2011. 
It's funny how how much uh, how, how much dirty talk changes. We were laughing the other day because um, we used to love that song, and it's very disgusting. What's that? My neck, my back, lick my hand, Mark. I can't even say it in case you got kids in your car. Which, if you do, you shouldn't be listening to this now. And uh, I used to hear that song, and I was like, "That's a very dirty song." But there's something about it which is, you know, I can't believe someone's got the confidence to speak like that. And so I'm mildly attracted. But then Jessie said to me the other day, she's like, hey, it's funny how now we've got kids that those lyrics just, um, they, they mean something completely different, isn't it? Just uh, before kids, it's like, oh, that's naughty. After kids, you're like, oh, my neck, my back, oh, my pussy, oh, my God. And especially, we got this, we got this information from, uh, from the hospital the other day, poor Jessie. I would hate to be a chick, especially a pregnant one. Uh, because, like, I'm trying to play it cool at the moment, but the idea of her going in the car... Like the idea of pushing out a baby it really freaks me out. It really freaks me out. I, I heard it wasn't until like the 60s when men were actually allowed to go into the birthing room. And, and I, I wish they never changed it because I would be more than happy to sit at a cafe and just go and meet my kid once all the, once it had all been done. But I know I'm going to have to be in there and, and just pretending that I'm fine and everything's okay. Um, you know, like hopefully everything is okay. But you mean, I mean like everything within me is okay, that I'm feeling good and not sick. We got a letter from the hospital the other day, and it was just going through some of the some of the little precautions and some of the things you have to be aware of going to to give birth to a kid. And one of them was, hey, just a heads up that there's a very good chance that uh, if the baby is too big, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to slice your gooch with scissors just to open up a bit more room. And I I just don't want to be in there for that because if I see a pair of scissors going near my wife's gooch, I just I know what's happening. I don't care that it's numb. The fact that flesh like that's just being destroyed is. I don't know. It, it really freaks me out. It really freaks me out. Anyway. Hey, we're back. We're back. I'm back in Australia. I'm, it's good to be back. I, I hope you all miss this beautiful office that I'm in. I certainly did. But um, hey, guys, that's enough from me today. I've got to go get myself organized because I've got heaps to do before I drive into the city tonight to go tell some funny jokes. So I'll leave it there. Hey, you guys have a great rest of your week and I'll see you here next week. All right. Bye.